Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. All right, I have to tell you, this is my confession. I really like doing this kind of show, the show that we're about to do. Um, I almost always enjoy it. I mean, I enjoy doing the wonderful shows that are produced by our incredible producers who are really good at rounding up terrific guests. And I like doing the news where we get together with, you know, people that we talk to regularly, thrash out some cultural issues. I love all those shows, too. But lately, on some Mondays, I've started doing this thing where I don't really ask the producers for any help at all. uh, And I just spend the weekend kind of thinking about what I want to talk about with you as phone callers. Um, And I almost always know immediately, too. I almost always know immediately what I want to talk about. I I always just want to talk about one thing. And, it, you know, I think it's probably, at the risk of sounding grandiose, it's probably how really good pastors feel, you know, that, like, my former old pastor, uh, Nancy Butler, my guess is, like, she knew right away what she wanted to talk about. It's just like the world just tells you. And so— Going into the weekend, I always say, I always say to myself, I'm just going to throw myself wide open to the world and, and to the news and, and to what's going on in this country. And then I'm going to just ask myself what I need to talk about. Well, it was so easy this weekend. And what I want to talk about is the red hen. So the red hen is, and by the way, our, my number is, our number, 860-275-7266. Give me a chance to kind of set this up a little bit, but I don't know. I'm sure you're going to want to call it. 860 860- Two seven five seven two six six. So the the Red Hen is a farm to table restaurant. It's in uh, Lexington, Virginia. It's about a three uh, three hours drive away from Washington. It's kind of west and southwest of Charlottesville. It's a tiny little farm to table restaurant. It's twenty six people. So the other night, group of people, party of eight, comes in. The last to arrive was Sarah Sanders, um, who is of course press secretary to um, to President Trump, and um, so the owner. Stephanie Wilkinson wasn't on the site at that moment, but her staff, although they began serving this party, um, artisanal cheese boards and whatever they wanted to drink, the staff was concerned. And so they reached her by phone and she came in and kind of assessed the situation and um, talked to her staff, even asked her staff, you know, back of back of the house staff, front of the house staff, what do you want to do about this? And kind of overwhelmingly, they wanted Sarah Sanders to leave. They didn't want to have to give her the rest of the dinner. In mind, if the other nine people, one of whom, I mean, other seven people, one of whom was apparently her husband, uh, didn't mind if they stayed, but just couldn't see doing that. Uh, some of them are LGBTQ people and were concerned uh, about uh, the stance which Sarah Sanders often has to bring out uh, and and defend to the press, uh, stance on transgender people in the military. Um, uh, other people on the staff were understandably concerned of late about the separation of children at the borders. And I think probably it's fair to say the staff in general, just not really into uh, the overall pronouncements of the Trump administration. Um, And I think we can also say, I kind of get this, 
there's a certain satisfaction, a poetic satisfaction, in turning away somebody from the Trump administration because the Trump administration takes such relish in turning people away. It's a, it, it must be very tempting to give them a taste of their own medicine. So anyway, Stephanie Wilkinson, owner of the Red Hand, um, in a, you know, apparently polite, as far as you know, polite and diplomatic way, took Sarah Sanders aside and said, look, you know, I just, I'm sorry, but we can't serve you. We'd like you to leave. Um, they, I don't know. This is meaningful to me. I, I, I meant to be unmeaningful to anyone else. She comped them, the you know, the cheese and the drinks and whatever they'd had so far. Their dinners were already like on the stove cooking because it had taken Stephanie Wilkinson a little while to get there. But she said, "Look, you know, uh, you don't have to pay, but just go." Um, and of course, Stephanie. Uh, so then Sarah Sanders went, and then pretty soon after, tweeted about the experience of having been turned out of a out of a restaurant because of who she was. So I, this is what I want to talk about, and I want to talk about this kind of as a general phenomenon because there are different iterations of it, different versions of it happening uh, these days. It seems it seems to be kind of a rash of this kind of thing, and I think it's all completely understandable. I really get it. I get why you would want to do that. If I were Stephanie Wilkinson. I would want to do that. And if my staff said we want to do it, I'd find it hard to say no. Um, I do sort of look around and I think, well, like, so I get it. And, but what did we get out of it? So, like, because I'm looking for improvement right now. <laughs> my, my, as I look around this country, I look for improvement. I look for things that could possibly get better. So what did we get out of it? Well, I mean, certainly... Sarah Sanders, you know, I mean, this didn't do anything other than harden her position about certain things. I don't think she thought, went home and thought, wow, I really better change my ways because I can't get into the red hen. Um, I think a lot of people who support President Trump and Sarah Sanders also took this as an occasion to say, see, that's how they are. We don't have to change anything because look at how they are. Um, You know, it's sort of a usable thing for them. And then this kind of war broke out where people started trolling other people. And as you may know, there's a place in Old Saybrook called the Red Hen. They got tremendous amount uh, of problems and threats and people pranking them and ordering, you know, 100 takeout meals and just all kinds of problems were visited on them, even though they had nothing to do with this. They and several other restaurants around the country are ca- also called the Red Hen and all of them. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, the owner of the Red Hen, and said that when people would call up to scream at her, she would say, look, the first thing I have to tell you is this is not the restaurant that you're looking for. That's in Virginia. This is in Connecticut. We don't have anything. I didn't even know that restaurant existed. We don't have anything to do with each other. And the people, without pausing, would just keep screaming at her anyway because, as this woman said, I think quite accurately, they had already planned what they were going to (laughs) say. They already had this thing that they were completely ready to say about how horrible the red hen is for kicking out Sarah Sanders. And it just wasn't a particularly meaningful piece of information to them that this wasn't the correct restaurant. They just cut loose anyway, because that's how people are. All right. So um, so what I found, found myself thinking is, like I do, I want things to change. And, and I'm worried, genuinely worried about this country that like in 10 years, where are we going to be? Like we're getting really good at screaming at each other, really good at, at intensely disliking each other. Um, I, I think we're you know raising our game quite a bit in that regard. But I don't know if we're raising. I, don't, I mean, and I can't see how that goes anywhere good. And, and I'd like something good to come out. And I found myself fantasizing about other ways that the whole 
Lexington, Virginia, Red Hen thing could have gone. You know, I mean, as I say, I think that Stephanie Wilkinson had every right to do what she did. Sounds like she handled it in a pretty judicious way. But I don't think we got anything out of it. I would have loved to it if she could have said, you know, any number of things, including, you know what, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I, this is my restaurant. You're here as guests. Uh, I want you to, you know, be here and have your meal and stuff like that. But I want you to know also I'm really uncomfortable having you here. My staff's really uncomfortable having you here. And maybe part of the price of this meal is going to be, can I sit down for 15 minutes and tell you why that is? Can we just talk for a little bit? Um, something like that. Or, you know, have your meal here now, but let's make an agreement that you'll come back, you know, with sometime in the next month and just you and I can sit down and talk. Because um, this is what we don't, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> We're not talking. So anyway, let me just um, throw out the number now, 860-275-7266. Some of you are so mad at the Trump administration that you can't imagine trying to see. I, I would I would leap at that opportunity. You know, if, if if I were in a place and Sarah Sanders walked in and there was some opportunity like that. And I feel like food and, and eating, it's the perfect occasion because in, in some ways, when we talk about food and eating, you know, we use phrases like break bread. We're going to break bread together, you know, and that's come to have this sort of subliminal meaning just, you know, when you break bread together. So that's it's good, right? That's what you're going to break bread. You're going to share things. You're going to pass. You're going to break the bread and theoretically pass it to other people. So we think of sitting down to a meal, even if you're not 100 percent getting along. Um, as an opportunity to to converse and to maybe even get past some differences. Now, that's a little bit romanticized and a little, little, little bit poeticized. I mean, because really, if you look at some of the work of anthropologists like Claude uh, Levi Strauss or Margaret Visser's uh, book, Much Depends on Dinner, the other way to think about this is that in our wiring, we've developed a whole series of manners and customs uh, and especially table manners. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that in our earliest time as, as hominids, um, a meal time was probably one of the most dangerous times because a fight could break out over resources, right? So when we're living on the grasslands of Africa or wherever, you know, if you have hunter-gatherers, there's not maybe quite as much food as there needs to be. You can have pretty terrible fights about food. And, and then if you think about even food now, and this was Margaret Visser's point, you know, our teeth are bared. We're holding sharp objects in our hands, knives, <laughs> pointy, pointy, sticky things. There's a way in which we're just barely controlling our urge um, to do harm to one another. So that's but that makes meals a great place in some ways to have these conversations. And so I was just kind of wishing and wondering if there was some way to use a moment like this the next time it happens. I'm not criticizing Stephanie Wilkinson, um, but the next time it happens, like, could we get something out of it? And obviously there's been a rash of this stuff. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen, uh, who's the D Department of Homeland Security director, was heckled out of a Mexican. Yes, I know it's weird that they're eating in Mexican restaurants. Out of a Mexican restaurant uh, by people just yelling about uh, Trump administration policies. Uh, Stephen Miller the architect of some of the most distasteful apologies, uh, um, policies also challenged in a Mexican restaurant. Why are they eating at Mexican restaurants? Anyway, um, and, you know, 
I get it. I get that, too. I mean, a lot of people feel as though they're in a crisis right now, right? The whole country's in a crisis. We have an administration that doesn't really resemble anything we've ever seen before and and seems prepared to trample on all aspects of comity and polity. So you have to do something. So I kind of get that, you know? And then there are these other situations where, like Seth Rogen, had a situation recently where these two young guys came up to him at some event that he was speaking at. I think it was some good charity event. And they wanted a picture, and he did it for them. And then their father came up, and their father turned out to be Paul Ryan. And once again, it doesn't sound like he handled it terribly, but he just, you know, he just said, I'm I'm not going to be in a picture with you because I, I, you know, I don't agree with anything you've done. Um and, and, you know, once again, I totally get that. I, I think if I were in Seth, Seth Rogen's shoes, I would do the same thing. But I think, I hope, I would also look for some way to build a little bridge at that moment. Say, look, I just met your sons. They seem like very fine young guys. And so you and your wife did a good job with them. You didn't do a good job as Speaker of the House. And, and if you've got a couple of minutes, I, I'd, be, I'd love to tell you about sort of one thing that's really bothering me, just so you know. And, and yeah, we're not going to be in a picture together because I don't want to be in a picture with you. But I, I also don't want this to be a totally toxic moment. That's what I'm really asking about right now is can these I – know, I know these moments can't be good. Like I know Sarah Sanders walks into your restaurant and you've got – staff that are really troubled by this and you're very troubled by this. It can't be a good moment. Can it be 10% better? You know, can we look for a way to make some of these moments 10% better um, so that we get something? Because I, I feel like if we stay on the track we're on right now, we're going to be in a terrible place. And I know that some of you are also going to say, yeah, but they're terrible. Yeah, I know they're terrible. But if nobody makes a move, if if nobody extends an olive branch, or even not even an olive, an olive twig, an olive, just an olive, not even an olive branch, just an olive. Here, here's an olive. Um, if nobody does that, if, if, if our side doesn't do it, if our side becomes more and more like them and uses tactics and rhetoric that's more and more like the things that we purport to deplore, then what happens? Okay. My phone number, 860-275-7266. is really our phone number. Uh, R means uh, Betsy Kaplan is producing this show, and Zandra uh, Ellen is uh, taking your calls. Be nice to Zandra when you call up. She's a fairly new intern here. And Wolfie's on the board. And can I see what your news is? I can? Yeah. So Wolfie cut off her dreadlocks, which um, Wolfie's kind of famous for having dreadlocks. 17 years, 17 years of dreadlocks. I mean, they're that's it. Your dreadlocks were a teenager. Your your dreadlocks could get a driver's license, um, and she looks now. See now, I'm, I don't know what I can say because of like policies and stuff. She looks adorable. All right, come and arrest me. I don't care. Um, <laughs> come on down, human resources. Um, she looks adorable. Um, all right, so. Um, here we go. Uh, I'm going to start taking phone calls. 860-275-7266. And I'm going to take the first call right here. This is Rafan. Am I saying your name correctly? Rafan, yeah. Okay, thanks, Colin, for taking my call. No problem. Uh, go ahead. I, I think, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I think you hit the nail on the head. If, if we follow you know, their lead, all we do is give them ammunition. And so... You know, Michelle Obama said it best when she made the comment about when they go low, we go high. Like, we have to play above that game. Otherwise, we're just as bad as they are. That's how I'm feeling right now. 
I think it's a big ask for people. You know, it is a big ask. I get that it's a big ask, but um, and people, they're so hurt. And, you know, if you think about Stephanie Wilkinson, she's probably thinking at that moment, I'm never going to get another moment like this. Most people don't ever get to confront Sarah Sanders or anybody at that level in this administration. I've got to get the most out of it. But I think what you and I are both thinking, not to put thoughts in your head, is that getting the most out of it might be having a moment where Sarah Sanders or her equivalent walks away and goes, wow, that person was kind of better than I expected them to be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you can't, you know, you're not going to change ignorance with more ignorance. And as a black man, does it now give them the right to say, I don't think you should be able to eat in my restaurant because I just don't feel like your policies around Black Lives Matter um, you know, they personally offend me. And so we're opening a door for discriminatory practices that ranges farther than the consequence of Sarah Sanders. All right. So thanks for your call. Uh, and uh, thanks for taking that tack. Although I don't mind if people see. In fact, I kind of hoping that people will also bring up different ways of thinking about this. Um, they certainly did on Facebook. Uh, I got a pretty good eyeful from people on Facebook about this. Okay, here's Frank in Simsbury. Oh, Frank just hung up. All right, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. Uh, I'm going to go to Francis in Stanford. I also want to, as I often do, encourage women to call up. Because women sometimes are less likely to call talk shows. I mean, we just kind of know that. So I don't want to talk to dudes for 49 minutes. I don't mind talking to some dudes, but 860-275-7266. I'm not going to say that every woman who calls up is going to go to the top of the list, but that actually might be true. All right, at least for a while until we get some women involved here. Uh, Okay, here's Francis. Ah, people are are hanging up. What is this? Call 860-275-7266. Okay, so the only caller I've got that's not, um, that's available to me uh, is Chris, and he's going to agree with me. All right, well, uh, one more people can, one more person can agree with me, and then we'll go to a break. Uh, Hi, Chris, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. Uh, Thanks for taking the call. Sure. So I I, I do really like what you had to say about giving um, Sarah Sanders an opportunity to have that discussion with the restaurant owner. I guess the problem I have with it, I think she did handle it very civilly, essentially. She wasn't rude. She wasn't, you know, she took her aside. She handled it in a very sort of professional manner. Um, And that's more than what the Trump administration is doing to vast numbers of Americans here and people who are coming into the country. They're they're not treating them with civility. They're not treating them with any kind of open-minded discussion. So it's almost like you got to give a little bit to get a little bit, in my opinion. She handled it right, I think. And... As a as a restaurant owner, I, you know, I, I I don't know. I think if you don't want to serve somebody because you disagree with their character and their policies, that's that's on that's completely fair. Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, uh, you know, that she committed no legal wrong and she committed no moral wrong. My, my, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this was fine. Except that, you know, when the, when it's all over, what do we got? You know, we got people matter at each other than ever before. We got people torturing other restaurants that aren't even this restaurant. You know, we got people hardening off their positions. Yep. And, the the yeah. restaurant people, you know, they got to have a voice, too, and speak directly to Sarah Sanders, which I think she probably does not hear very much. Um, and, yeah, I just I feel like that was that was an opportunity and she did handle it really, really well. Yeah, I know no. what you're saying, though. I agree. There, there could be other ways to go about it, but um, I'm not sure what they are given what we're getting from this administration. Right. At some I point, mean, they, we go high, they go high, we go 
you know, they go low, we go high. It doesn't really, didn't work. Like, we got to do something else. I know. We Although, take it to them. one thing that I feel, well, I, you know, there's ways to take it to them. But I guess what I also feel is, you know, I mean, and this is just sort of a mood that I've been in for, I don't know, the last nine months or so. You know, just trying these positive steps, these big steps that encourage dialogue with somebody, anybody, you know, just going 10 percent a little bit better, nicer, more conciliatory, more olive branchy. You know, if it doesn't work nine times, but then works the 10th time, I'd say it's worth it, you know, just to get one good but conversation. You end up going. With Donald Trump as president and the environment being destroyed because of that 10 percent. I don't know. I hear what you're saying, but. They, they've taken it to such an extreme at this point as far as their policies and his his behavior as an, as a leader, just his straight up the way he talks about and to people. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of to me, it's it's one thing if you disagree with somebody and treat them really poorly, that's not okay. But when they've set the tone so low and so 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 brutal in his language and the way he treats the opposition, you reap what you you reap what you sow in a way. True, yeah. true. I don't I don't disagree with you, Chris. I just I want progress. <laughs> I don't want more of this. I feel like we're we're built, we're making more of this somehow. Uh, here's uh, Amy in Bloomfield. Then I'm going to grab a break. Our number eight six zero two seven five seven two six six. Hi, Amy. Hi. What's on your mind? Well, I was listening to you guys about going high rather than going low, and I usually just talk to the radio. But you said women call in, so yeah. I'm calling. Yeah. Um, I'm a woman of color, and I've worked in an industry that I'd rather not name. Um, mm-hmm. But it is filled with a lot of white women. I've been working for 11 years. I've worked very hard. I have my master's degree. And it has never changed the fact that those people have never seen me as equal because they'd rather work to help people of color rather than be a colleague with people of color. My child has lighter hair, lighter skin than I do, but he doesn't have the same last name as me. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried to take him across the border without changing his last name legally, um, I'd like to take him on a trip sometime soon because I used to travel when I was younger. But I'm actually afraid to do that because of the crazy things that are happening in immigration right now and the fact that it's to the point where children are being separated from their families and might never see them again. And granted, I'm an American citizen, but I still have a little bit of fear inside of me. I don't think going high is going to make the difference. I think going high It's the same thing that has kept me, myself, stagnant as a person of color, trying to be equal, trying to speak well, trying to get all the degrees, certifications, pay off those student loans. It's not bringing me anywhere and seeing these people suffer. It's it's bringing me to the point where I'm like jumping out of my chair, cheering yes when I see people uh, yelling shame, shame, shame. I don't think going high is going to change these people whatsoever. I disagree with you. All right. No, and that's great. I'm glad you called it in. I, I do want to say, just so we know what page we're on and stuff like that, you may or may not know, for the last 28 years, I've been raising a person of color, my only son. He is 100% ethnically Mexican. Uh, his birth parents are Mexican nationalists. He's been my son since he... No, I mean, they were Mexican nationals. Sorry. They were nationalists. Uh, they were Mexican nationals. He's been my son since he was three weeks old. So I, I've raised a child of color in the society. I know a little bit of what you're talking about. Um, I guess my question is, when we yell shame, then what happens? You know? I mean, we feel better, They're I guess. uncomfortable. That's what happens. These but, are people of privilege who have been comfortable for way too long, and it's time for us to make them feel uncomfortable. But when they feel uncomfortable, then what do they do? I mean, do they change their ways, or do they double down on what they're doing? I'm betting on they'll, they'll double down. 
they might flee, they might resign, and it's time for us to start using those empty chairs to fill it with people who are of color as well. And that's the thing. We don't want them feeling comfortable in their positions because then they will leave because they're used to privilege, they're used to being comfortable, and we get to fill it with people who are able to understand uh, people of color like myself, like your son, who might reflect who they are, actually be your son, the person. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, listen, Amy, thanks for calling in and being the first woman to call and for disagreeing with me, too. Uh, I mean, I want that. Um, And our number is 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. You can call in here, too. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I want to have this conversation. And I I get what Amy's saying, too. And I could very easily be there. I was probably there for most of my life. Maybe when you get old, you change a bit. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. Star State, I lost my lunch before I ate. It happened in a bullet head cafe. I felt my bones begin to crunch. I saw my name on the businessman's lunch, and the neck who owned the place stepped up to say, Hey, buddy, are you blind? Say, partner, can't you read the sign? the right to refuse service to you. Take your business back to Walgreens. Have you tried your local zoo? You smell just like a communist. You come through just like a Jew. We reserve the right to refuse service. All right, before we get back to the calls, and we got a bunch of them, uh, let me just say, uh, tell you one more thing. It's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, too. So before I came here, for 16 years, I was kind of the House liberal in an otherwise very conservative station. Uh, and so usually, I don't know, for the beginning of my career there, I did the show that preceded Rush Limbaugh's. And then for the last 10 years or so, I did the show that followed Rush Limbaugh's. So a lot of times the audience that I inherited at three o'clock in the afternoon for afternoon drive had been listening to Rush Limbaugh for a while and they really liked him. And for the most part, the listenership of this radio station were pretty conservative people, you know, and then I had my own little group of people like my views. Um, And so in that situation, first of all, I got to tell you, I mean, it's a pretty horrible, you know, way to live in some way. There were like a lot of people who on a daily basis wanted to be fired. And certainly when things would get tense, you know, I think about the run up to the invasion of Iraq, which I was really vocally opposing. And people, there were like, you know, 50, 60 people calling my boss every day saying not only that I should be fired, but that I was a traitor and all this kind of stuff. So but, you know, what I did back was taunt people. You know? <laughs> and be a brat and make you get them more riled up. You know, I mean, that's kind of what they were paying me to do anyway. But I mean, it was my inclination in that situation, partly because I was younger and partly because in that situation, you kind of have your back against the wall and your teeth bared. What are you going to do? So um, but I look back on all that with not a whole lot of pride. I mean, it was really fun sometimes, <laughs> and it was really horrible other times. But I don't know. When I look back at like my whole career, the taunting that I got so good at is not necessarily one of the things that I'm proud of. And I know that there are people where, with whom I took it too far, too, you know, uh, as you look back. And you could say they had it coming. You can always say they had it coming. That's what people are going to say, you know, some of the phone calls I'm about to take. They had it coming or, or civility is earned. But sometimes you have to give your best. 
You just have to give, or if you can't give your best, give your better. Give your better to the other person, even if they don't deserve it yet. Maybe they'll wish they deserved it. Just a thought. Okay, here we go. Um, let's go to Sylvia in Hartford. Hi, Sylvia. You're on the air. Opa. Thank Hi. Um, I so appreciate your topic, and uh, I'm completely comfortable with uh, Miss Wilkinson's uh, courteous uh, behavior to state what she believes in, compassion, the truth, and cooperation, and she did not kick her out. She politely asked her to leave. Yeah, that's sort of the same thing as kicking somebody out. No, it's not. <laughs> you and I uh, have worked, well, you're still working, but I have worked for a living, and we have to be polite. Yeah. We don't really want to hurt someone's feelings. But, you know, there comes a time for all of us when we have to stand up for what we believe in. I, I totally agree. I know you do. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I still wish, I still wish we could get something out of it other than what we got out of it. Because I feel like at the end, as I said at the beginning of the show, we got nothing out of it. I mean, yeah, you know, I'm sure she felt a little better doing that and her staff probably was cheering her on from the kitchen. I get all that. I, I could be that person doing the cheering. Uh, but I wonder, I guess, how are we going to knit this country back together? Or I feel like I'm 63 years old right now. I, like, I don't want to hand off this country, you know. I don't want my generation to hand off this country 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, here, we broke it even worse. <laughs> you know, We screwed it up so bad. And then all together, we broke this country even worse. Here it is. California seceded, by the way. They're not part of the country anymore. <laughs> Here's your country. I feel like we owe it to people to see if we can figure out some way uh, to to have some kind of conversation in this country that isn't just we're, just we're so good at yelling and screaming at each other. Anyway, here's Connie in Southington. Hi, Connie. Hi, Colin. You're on the um, air. I'm on the air. Yeah. I uh, I don't believe in yelling and screaming at people in public places. Mm -hmm. I yell and scream at my radio. Right. But the problem I have is it seems like everybody NPR above all, is normalizing this entire um, administration. And I think that they need to be called to task. I don't think they should shout them out of the restaurants, but I'd be very happy with everyone standing up and walking over and saying something polite, but telling them what you feel. You know, I think that's a pretty cool idea. I'd be okay with that. First of all, I don't think NPR is normalizing this administration. I think NPR is doing a really good job informing people about all the things that are going wrong in this administration. Uh, it's, it's a complicated thing because, well, anyway, that's a source. We could have that conversation some other day. But I kind of, I'd be fine with somebody walking over to Sarah Sanders' table and saying, I just want you to know you're hurting a lot of people. Um, you know, you're hurting this country. Uh, enjoy your dinner <laughs> and then walk exactly. away. That'd be fine. Yeah, that'd be fine with me. Um, exactly. I, I don't think that's, yeah, I, I, I don't, I think maybe if that were the cost of going out to dinner for Sarah Sanders, I'd be okay with that. It's, but I just, you know, well, anyway, I've said it too many times. I'm just going to take calls here. Here's uh, Marina in Woodbury. Hi, Marina. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, my parents own a business. And I don't think I would refuse service. I think I would, uh, let's say Mike Pence comes in and, and um, uh, 
uh, purchases something, I would take that money and I would donate it to Planned Parenthood or something like that. And I don't think I'd rub it in his face or publicize it in any way. And uh, But if it's someone like uh, Duterte, <laughs> you know, then I might refuse servants. Like if you're, you know, enforcing violence on your own people, like that's where I would definitely stand up, I suppose. But, um, and I think the reason why I wouldn't go out of my way to make a scene about it is because every time people, you know, do that, I think it just fuels the, the right and everyone just kind of grounds together and becomes more and more increasingly polarized. I, I agree with everything that you just said. And I, I also think it's kind of fabulous that you brought up Duterte because uh, well, I brought this uh, this whole topic up last night on Facebook and people wrote in. And I was sort of there's a, there's a part of me that sometimes wants to say to people, yes, I know that this is a terrible administration. I think it's a terrible administration. Every, so many things that it does turn my stomach and make me sick. But it's not Duterte and it's not Erdogan, you know, uh, and, right. and, and it's not uh, El Sisi and it's not uh, um, it's not Putin. <laughs> you know? I mean, the, he Trump might wish he could be those people. He certainly feels a lot more comfortable with tyrants uh, than he does with democratically elected leaders. But we're not at that point yet. And, and probably, you know, acting as though I mean, some of the language that people use, you know, that the, these people are terrorists and fascists. And, you know, I mean, they might want to do some things that fascists have done, but they're not quite there yet. Uh, and yeah, they're not Duterte. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. That said, if I ran into Betsy DeVos in public, I might yell just a few shames in her direction. Yeah, like across <laughs> the street or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks very much for calling. Uh, our number, well, I, why give it out? The lines are full. What am I going to do? All right, I'm going to go over to Paul. I, by the way, thanks to the women who did call up. It's like, I don't know. You have to say it or they don't call up. But then they do. That's good. Here's Paul from West Hartford. Hi, Paul. Hi, Colin. Good to hear your voice. Good to be summertime when I get to do it live and good to be part of the 21st century with podcasts where I get to do it other than live when I can't. Um, I, I just wanted to do a couple of things. One is to suggest that it might not be the case that the restaurateur had an absolute right to um, ask a patron to leave. I mean, you're a lawyer, you know this stuff better than I do, but there's all sorts of causes of action that might be a attached to that kind of thing, um, depending in part upon law in Virginia and what kinds of categories are covered by um, uh, public accommodations and all that. But even in the absence of that emotional distress and that the travel time that people went to get to the restaurant, all sorts of things could be actionable there. So I don't think it's quite so obvious that the restaurateur had a right. I, I, I'm troubled by this because I, I think, as I think you mentioned earlier a couple of times, it's giving um, our president's supporters more ammunition. I, I think we lost this battle rhetorically. I, I, I think it wasn't a good idea. I think we won the battle rhetorically, interestingly, when a similar thing happened, but nobody was denied service, when Pence went to see the performance of Hamilton and got something he didn't bargain for as part of his contract, except that um, more than coincidentally, I guess, when you go to theater, the contract is you're buying a communication um, encounter. It may not be the one he wanted, but 
that's what you're buying when you go to a restaurant. It's quite different, it seems to me. And it, it seems the better analogy would be those restaurants that tend to be in the South where um, every table is a 12-top or a 16-top. And so the vast majority of the patrons are sitting with strangers, being served family style, and um, encouraged, made to converse with each other. It seems to me that's where we get to mix and match all sorts of different kinds of people, including political affiliation. All right. Thanks for your call, Paul. Um, I'm not a lawyer, by the way. I I would say this, just based on my primitive understanding of the law, um, Wilkinson, I think, is probably within her rights. In other words, most discrimination laws, and I certainly have never read Virginia's, I mean, you have to identify protected classes, essentially, and, 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 and... illegal bases for discrimination. So discriminating against a particular person and just saying to that person, you know, you, candy, <laughs> um, is, you know, that's, I mean, I, I, I would guess she's well on firm legal ground. Now, as far as all the other stuff goes, I, I'll say one thing about this because um, it's a point that I've been trying to make. When something like this happens, you know what happens on both sides? Everybody feels good. The people on what I will now call our side, people who, you know, maybe skew a little bit left and don't like Donald Trump, we feel good because, ah, Sarah Sanders, you know, she was forced to live with the consequences of her behavior, right? So they stuck it to her a little bit. Um, and... Um, on the other hand, they feel good, too. That's the thing that you forget. They feel good. Justin Peters did a great piece in The New York Times over the weekend about Trump supporters. And, and I mean, without even knowing about this thing, he, he kind of incorporated that idea. They feel good anytime they can look at something that's done on the other side go, oh, that's right. Those people aren't very nice. And so I don't really have to listen to them. And even though there are some things about President Trump that really bother me, I've decided on balance I can live with him. And this stuff that's going on over there— over there on the left, just further removes any doubts, hesitations, or qualms that I have. I can ditch a couple of qualms today because look at them. Look at how they act. So both sides feel really good, um, <laughs> which is nice. I'm glad people feel good, but it, both sides feel good in still a very adversarial way that's dismissive of each other, and that's not good nation building. Anyway, we'll take a break. Molly, uh, you'll go first when we come back. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish did not order the sea bass. Our intern is Zandra Ellen. The part of Bill Curry was played by Tim Horton. On tomorrow's show, we revisit our conversation about the secret lives of dams. And now, back to Colin. Yeah, and I think we have to uh, even accelerate our praise of Zandra Ellen, our intern. She's handling the phones today. There's a lot of calls coming in. Uh, and she's getting them up on the board. It's not that easy to do. Uh, in fact, I don't think I could do it. In fact, I'm almost 100% positive I could not do it. If this were the Zandra Ellen show and I was in there handling phones, it would suck. <laughs> um, all right, so she's doing a great job. You're doing a great job calling in. I Well, no, I'm not going to give out the number right now. We've got too many calls. Uh, here's uh, Molly in Canton. Hi, Molly. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to um, point out something that you, I don't feel, uh, well, anyway, in the small picture, I'm thinking about the gay people in the restaurant. I had a situation years ago when 
a bunch of us were going to, my entire family was going to gang up on my mother about something that she had done that, done that was clearly wrong. And we all, were all full of ourselves, and we were going to say, you know, you, this was wrong. And then my brother, Gay, eventually died of AIDS at the time, said, I'm mommy's favorite, and this will jeopardize my standing with her. And when the rest of you, all straight, go out in public, you know, you can do things that I can't do. I can... Um, I can't hug my partner or kiss my partner without jeopardizing my safety, you know, in public and things like that. And he spoke on his own behalf of a gay man at the time. And this was when things were a lot worse than they are now. And he said, as my position as mommy's favorite, I would like for you to let that go because it will jeopardize my position. And I've always thought of that being her favorite as kind of a trade-off for the things that don't happen to me in the big world out there. So I'm thinking about the gay people behind the scenes having their voice and speaking and saying whatever they said, and just in some small way having their voice and being able to say, yeah, we're never going to be, we're never going to feel that there's a balance in the ways that we've been screwed up by the world out there. But in this way, we can legitimately speak our voice and say no. Let me just respond to that. First of all, you, it seems, Molly, that you could take the story that you just told and teach the other lesson with it, right? Which is your father, your, excuse me, your brother saying, don't gang up. Um, and, and it seems, uh, when I was talking about Stephanie Wilkinson, and this is something I should have said, like when I think about the altern- alternate scenarios that could have played out, yeah, she would have had to go back to the people in the kitchen and say, Look, this could go a couple of different ways. We could send her packing, or this could be our one opportunity to talk to somebody like this and, and maybe make some of these things understood, you know, and, and maybe get her to see the kind of restaurant she's visiting right now. It's a restaurant that's farms at table. We care about the environment. We care about uh, pesticides. Uh, we care uh, about stewardship of the land. Uh, we've got a diverse uh, employee stock here. We've got gay and lesbian people working here. Um, We want her to know that if she's here to eat the artisanal cheese and the great food uh, and, and to enjoy what we've created here, here's who created it. Here's who we are. So understand that, too, and factor that into how you live. So we could do that. We could try to communicate all that to her, or we could send her packing. And she would have had to have given them that choice. And that would involve a lot of thinking on her feet in a pretty tense situation already. But I don't think it's a terrible idea, and I also don't think it's one that your brother would have immediately rejected. Not that I knew your brother, but it just sounds like maybe in terms of who he is, who he was. Uh, I wonder. He might have been open to that argument. He... um. I guess the thing is, what I meant to say was, this is the small picture, mm-hmm. you know. And in the big world of politics, I was away on vacation, so I was unaware of any of this until this morning. And so, um, I don't know, I hear gay things, and I think of him dying of AIDS, and I think how pleased I was that I did the small thing that I was able to do when he was alive. I think you gave him a really good gift uh, that way, and... There's so many other ways that you, know, you I'm sure, honor your, his memory in the way that you live. Uh, thanks so much for calling. So we've got some people who've been holding for a while. Let me go to, uh, is it Durim, Durim? I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. Hi, you're on Hello. the air. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. 
Tell me how to say your name, first of all. Oh, oh, Durham. Durham, okay. Just making sure. Yeah. No cool. problem. All I right. guess we're on a delay here because I was listening to the conversation on the car. All right. Um, so, yeah, you want to turn down your radio. Otherwise, it'll be sucked into a time warp. Yes, I turned it completely. It's my first time calling in, so I'm very excited. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, when I, when I called in, I really wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, how these types of events, when they tend to happen, events such as um, – you know, the Huckabee Sanders getting kicked out of a restaurant or Mike Pence uh, at the, the football game or, you know, him with Hamilton. I feel like typically there's always a lot of things that are going on with the administration from a policy perspective that kind of get pushed aside when we start discussing these things that are happening to these individuals in their private lives. You know, I mean, it's that restaurant's owner, I feel like it's, it's their right, you know, to refuse them service, you know, especially if they did it in a way which, you know, didn't uh, demoralize these people in like a really nasty way it seems like she took every precaution to try to be polite um you know so i have no problem with them doing that you know and then from the perspective of trying to have a conversation with them and telling them what they don't like i, I don't know necessarily me personally if i was in that situation i wouldn't i could care less to talk to her about that because they have the views that they have you know they're not going to change it just because I myself or another restaurant owner would have told them, like, hey, these are the problems I have with your administration. You know, I want you guys to do better. I, I don't necessarily think that that would, you know, change what they're currently doing or the way they're currently doing it. Right. I, I, you might be right. You are right about that. But on the other hand, saying, here's who we are. You decided to come to this restaurant, my restaurant, my little farm-to-table restaurant. So here's who it is. Here's who's here. Here's what we're worried about. Here's why... There's some people here who don't even want you to eat here, you know, but I, I'd rather talk. I mean, I, I, if somebody would give me 15 minutes with Sarah Sanders, I would take it in a heartbeat and I would have a million questions to ask her about herself and even like how, how she can do this and whether I don't know. I, I would say, look, it's just us girls here. Why is Greg Pruitt still in his job? Like, how come you guys haven't fired him? I won't tell anybody, but just tell me why. Um, I, I don't know. I just feel like you get an opportunity to have one of these conversations. Uh, and I don't know. I'd rather have it than kick the person out. But, I mean, it's not my restaurant. It's hers. And you're right. I mean, you know, you're not probably not going to change any policies, Durham. So thanks for calling, man. Saying that to her, though, right? Like, I feel like her answer would be the same answer she gives on the podium. I guess. You know? I guess. It's I don't like know. I, I want to find that out. I want to know if she's the same person she is on the podium. That would be that would be worth letting her, you know, eat some chicken I cooked. All right. So, oh, I'm just running out of time. Did I say Greg Pruitt again? Scott Pruitt. What's wrong with me? Scott Pruitt. Um, all right. So, um, here's, <laughs> here's John in Barkhampstead. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hey, Colin, how are you? I'm the Listen More guy. Oh, yeah, the Listen More guy. <laughs> how are you doing? Good. Oh, my God. Colin, the, the, the wait staff should be fired because this no, no, was no. just a softball lob. No. I mean, uh, at some point, you've got to rely on wit, mm -hmm. right? I mean, um, and the Pope did a great job when, when um, the president went to meet him. You know, it would be bad form for the Pope to slug the president, right? Mm, right. And so he asked Melania. You remember what he said? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, he said... What are you feeding him, Potitsa? <laughs> it was the most witty. And so as a waiter, you know, an artist, I've waited on Timmy and tables, so. But I would come up to her and say, we have a Potitsa special. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. right? right? And then you go back to the kitchen and say, we've got to whip up something that is a hilarious take on Potitsa. And you just play it like a fiddle. Hmm. I mean, that's the fun of it. Because really what's going on, I don't personally see a lot of screaming and yelling. What I see is repression. People afraid to talk, and that's where wit. I mean, yeah, that's because you're in Connecticut, though. Um, 
but um, but point made. And actually, I should say, John, I know who he is. By the way, happy birthday yesterday. But John kind of invented the thing that I'm talking about, which is actually listening to the other side, listening to people say what they have to say. Because you, one thing, you get fewer surprises that way <laughs> if you actually listen. All right, we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, Suzanne, can you do this in about a minute? I sure can. Okay. Thank you. Um, nice to talk with you, Colin. I was at Wesleyan at the time you were at Trinity, but we move on. Um, this has to do with what I would do if I had been there. I would have asked my staff, please, to go forward and complete the meal with all dignity and appropriateness. And then when the bill came, I would have put two scriptures on the bottom, Matthew 5, 38 through 40, Matthew 25, 29 to 41. The first one says, how do you deal with an evil person? You give them your cloak. You go the second mile. The second scripture says, the reason you do that is because when you do something like that to the least of these, meaning uh, Sanders family, you are considered the least in the kingdom, as it were. Um, it is as though you are doing a good thing toward Christ. So if they are truly biblical and thoughtful, I think this speaks a lot louder than trying to engage in the conversations. And by acting positively and serving them, it demonstrates that I would be consistent with what message I'm sharing with them in those scriptures. All right, Suzanne, you know what you just did? You landed the plane. You landed the plane. The wheels touched down on the runway just perfectly. Now the passengers are applauding as we taxi to a stop. Please remain in your seats uh, until the news comes on. All right. Don't get up. Don't get up. We're not at our gate yet. But Suzanne, thanks for landing the plane. Thanks to Betsy Kaplan, to Wolfie, and especially to the heroic Zandra Allen, who's going to actually I told her to get me some lorazepam for this show. I think maybe she needs it more than I do at this point, but uh, great work anyway. We'll be back tomorrow.